The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Good morning and welcome to the show. I'm Randy Chittam. I'm the co-director of the Transformational Leadership Program and also teach in the Leadership Coaching Program. Today is the third in our three-part series on culture. Uh, I have long been interested in this topic and organizational environment in general because I've seen the impact that it has on both performance and satisfaction of the people who are working there. Many of my leadership clients uh, express an interest in leading culture in a more intentional way, and I suspect it is an area where coaches are at risk of underestimating the impact of the environment on the leaders with whom we are working. So for those reasons and more, I wanted to do this three-part series If you've listened to the first two, you know in the first part we talked with Jerry McDonough of Lead First, who happens to be here in Charlotte, who shared their 30-plus experience, uh, research and experience of culture and debunked the notion that all cultures uh, are created equal when it comes to performance. So I found that useful to think about. And last week we spoke with Jackie Cranford about unconscious bias and how it both shows up in our systems and is shaped by our systems. She hit that sweet spot where the leader and the system intersect. And today, I'm very excited to continue the conversation with Gary Corliss. Gary is a longtime executive and a very recent CEO of a publicly traded company. Gary, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Randy, and thanks for having me today. Uh, well, I am super excited. People who are listening will know why in just a minute. But uh, so as part of this conversation, I really wanted to talk with a leader who had really wrestled with culture and, more importantly, had the capacity to kind of step back and reflect on that experience and share some of, uh, in this case, his lessons with us. So it was a pretty easy uh, decision for me to call Gary, and thankfully he said yes. The, so the big disclaimer here is that Gary and I work together at PSS World Medical uh, in Jacksonville, where he still lives. Uh, Gary was the CEO for the last few years of my time there, and up until then, uh, when we were acquired by McKesson. Uh, the real full disclosure is that Gary was my boss those last few years, so... I'll let you make of that what you will. Clearly, he has good judgment. And, uh, Gary, with, I think I'll stop there and ask you to tell us a little bit more about your background, and uh, we'll ease into the culture conversation that way. Great. Well, thanks again, Randy. And uh, it was always a pleasure working with you, and I know it will be today as well. Uh, look, quick little background on me. Uh, grew up the son of an FBI agent moving around every few years. Um, went to a state school. Uh, Florida State University, and then joined what was essentially a startup in the medical space in 1989. Uh, moved eight times from there, which was, uh, I think, also helped me form some of my beliefs about culture, 
the importance of establishing it, you know, and maintaining it. And then uh, with a great team and culture, we took, you know, the company national, then we took it public in 1994, then we took it to uh, a $2 billion business serving about a quarter million uh, physicians and extended care providers. Um, until just a couple of years ago, as you mentioned, Randy, as we became a part of a Fortune 7 company, um, McKesson. So, um, again, was was very fortunate to join a, a company with a CEO uh, back in 1989, who valued culture and the entrepreneurial spirit, and then learned over many years how to how to shape that and grow that. You know, when you go from a startup, you know, with maybe 20 people to you know a two billion dollar company with 4,000 people across the U.S. and in some international offices. So, so there's a little bit of a background there. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I think if so, the key words to me were that you learn how to shape it, at least have some sense of how to shape it. I think that is the kind of magic dust that people are looking for. And, of course, unfortunately, it's not that simple, but we'll certainly be interested in learning more about uh, kind of what you've gleaned over the years of doing that. So, okay, maybe we could just start with, um, like, as you just think about if you were just in an elevator or having a beer, like, and you were just describing to someone just how you think about what culture is, what's your kind of starting place with that? Well, I, I would probably start with the standard definition that's only moderately helpful, and I would say <laughs> right. that is that that it's the shared beliefs and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's obviously, I think, helpful to a degree. But anytime anybody's ever asked me about culture, it's not because they really just wanted a definition; uh, it's that they wanted to understand what it takes to have a good culture. Um, you know, obviously, every co- every company has a culture, good or bad. Uh, and the best description I think I've heard of a good culture is it's the fuel that drives and the glue that binds. And and to me, I mean, what what could be more important than that? Because the strategy without the fuel to drive it and the glue to bind it um, will fail. Uh, but ultimately, I think really good cultures are born out of the convergence of a of a deep passion and respect for two things, and that's the the individual and the mission. Um, respect for the individual, both their you know their ability to contribute and and shape the company, and respect for the individual's other important roles. So, you know, in, in other words, you see each one of your people as an end and not just a means to an end. Uh, we've always believed that that we lead you know people that happen to be business people. Uh, they are fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers. And if you don't really care about helping them uh, to be successful in all of those roles, how can you really claim that you care about them? And if they don't believe you care about them you know, genuinely, then why should they care about your mission? Uh, so that leads you into, again, I think the, the convergence of respect for the individual and to respect for the mission. And I think ultimately that means that, that you own it and, and therefore it has to be something you know, worth owning something that you, you know, love to talk about, you know, uh, uh, all day, every day with each of your people. Um, so, so ultimately, when your teammates know that you have a passion for them as individuals and for your mission, then I think you have the beginnings of a strong culture. Do you, do you have, so one of the things that you didn't say too much about in your intro was just that you did talk about moving eight times, which at PSS was kind of a low number, if I remember right. right. Lots of movement, lots of people taking on new challenges and opportunities. And you, Durant, those weren't eight um, lateral moves, of course. There were moves that, that got you promoted all the way to the CEO of the company. Do you have any reflection? I'm just curious how far back you can track your thinking about culture and and. 
did it, does it feel the same as it felt, you know, 20, 25 years ago? Did it change as you moved up in the organization and had greater responsibility? Can you give us a sense of perspective about the sort of the evolution of culture in your mind? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting question. What I'd have to say is, you know, in some ways I don't think it changed at all mm. in that, you know, I knew from the very beginning because I was fortunate, again, to start, you know, very young under a, a leader that was very passionate about culture. And I saw the impact that it made. I just saw the energy and the focus that it brought to our mission, the connection it made between our people. And to me, I think, I think the only thing that changes is the, um, the amount of time that you have to invest in it. And what I mean by that is as you grow larger, I think it naturally will get diluted if you don't invest even more time and energy in it. And so over those eight moves, for me, it was most important that that became the foundation that we grew upon because each one of those eight moves came with a very different challenge, right? In some cases, it was a startup location, and in other cases, it was a turnaround situation, you know, or a new business that we had acquired. And the culture was always the best place uh, for me to establish that foundation of respect for each other and respect for the mission. And and it is a living, breathing thing that as you grow, again, I think will will be diluted if the leader. And the and the senior leadership is not absolutely committed to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, so when you were, I'm curious, just real quick, and we'll wrap up this part of it. But when you were out in the field, was it the same sort of deal for you? Like you thought, with this area for which I have responsibility, I'm responsible for the culture here. And to what extent did you talked about having, you know, starting out with someone who really valued culture and sort of impressed that upon you? But to what extent does culture kind of flow down? Uh, and to what extent do you see? leaders in their own kind of domain being responsible for it, or is it both of those things? Well, I think it's both of those things. I would say that that it has to be led from the very top, you know, consistently, and it has to be owned by each and every individual in the organization. And that may sound, you know, um, like, like a, uh, a pretty big task, but ultimately, I, I don't think it is. I think if, if, in fact, your culture is based on respect for the individual and the mission, I think that's pretty easy for people to grab a hold of. Uh, but then you need to expect people to, to, to lead it and to, to live and breathe it. And I think that's where, where it gets ingrained. So, so as I moved around and became a leader to, in, in local offices, and I knew that one of my first responsibilities was was for people to understand it and then to own it. Uh, so it is it is not something that is just a leadership item. It is something that is you know that is important. I think for each and every. I mean that is why they call it shared beliefs and behaviors, right? If not everybody uh, shares the belief and behavior, then it's not really a culture. It's a speech. Mm. Ah, that's an important thing that you just said. So, but, and so those listening, after the break, when we come back, we're going to talk more about how to implement it so that it's not just a speech, but I, I appreciate your saying that. Uh, do you have any sense, either for you personally or for the organization, that, I mean, there's sort of this question of, I think, of where uh, culture comes from. So you talked about, so we know that it sort of comes from the leader, but it had to come from somewhere to that leader. Um, and you talked about the individual and the mission. Like, I'm just curious, like I can imagine almost that culture is to some extent a reflection of the leader's own personal values. 
perhaps it comes from other places. Perhaps it's a, just a well thought out design question of some sort. I wonder, in your experience, where does the not, not the idea of culture, of course, as you said, every every organization has one of those, but to be intentional about creating culture. What is your experience about where that actually comes from? How you how do you land on, in our case, individual admission? Well, you know, you, you'd mentioned, you know, intentional design, and I certainly think that's part of it, but I think if that's, if that's all it is, then I think it will fail. Mm. Uh, it absolutely has to reflect, and I believe it reveals, you know, the personal values of the leadership and what they really care about, what they value most. And if it doesn't, then I don't think it will be, A, I don't think it will be inspiring, B, I don't think it will live day to day. Uh, you know, too often you see, you know, culture described, you know, by an acronym or two, you know, or a list of values that are that by themselves seem generic. Mm-hmm. And if those things, you know, if, if that's all it is, then then you really don't have a culture, right? You have a list of values uh, that you may or may not espouse. So I, I think it has to be owned, passionately owned. You know, personal values that then can have, you know, an intentional design because you do have to have a plan to implement it and to keep it, you know, alive. But, but, you know, no one's going to spend the appropriate amount of time on it if it isn't something that they, you know, believe to the core. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so at PSS, we had something, and I don't, I don't know how much of this you want to talk about. I think it's worth spending some time on if you're, if you're sort of prepared to do it. We had what we called, uh, at least the last version of it that I saw, were called cultural multipliers. And they were, they're different than values, to your point about having a list of values is not the same thing as having a culture. And I think to a great extent, what they did was reflect who we were rather than try to, and say this is who we want to be, but it, it, we didn't start there. We didn't say, wouldn't it be great if we could be these things, right? It was, an, it, it was a reflection of who we thought we were. Um, and I wonder if you'd be willing to just share one. I love the idea of multiplier, like how we sort of got to that word, uh, how those were created, and maybe even if there are a few of these that you like better than others, just so the listening audience can have a sense of what we're talking about, share a couple of them with us. Well, absolutely. And, and I, you know, one of the reasons, Randy, that, you know, that, that became so important is as we grew as a business, you, know, you really had to be able to, you know, to be a little bit more clear about what do you mean by your culture. And, and so we really had a need to be able to more simply and practically describe it. You know, and it had to be in a way that people really got it. You know, they didn't just hear it, but they felt it. And one of the things that, that we believed was true you know, cultural values work, you know, professionally and personally. And so if they really did help shape thinking and guide behavior, then it should be able to do that and, you know, both work, you know, here and at home. And so the cultural multipliers, you know, helped tell, tell us, you know, where to push ourselves, but as importantly, they told us how far to push. And so they were born out of the belief that we all have behaviors that come more naturally to us than other behaviors, and that we are at our best when we multiply those with complementary behaviors. So, so there's sort of a yin and a yang in that seemingly opposite forces are actually complementary, and therefore they are multipliers because one magnifies the strength of the other. So it may make more sense if we talk about one. Yeah. Uh, one, of, you know, one of the places we always started was bold and humble. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so 
you know, we have to take getting results seriously, no matter what role we're in, for-profit, non-profit, you know, or as a father and mother, right? And so, so we, we have to, we have to be very bold, you know, in the, uh, in the goals, you know, that we set, yet at the same time, you know, boldness without humility, you know, often turns into arrogance, you know, so, so, you know, you, we all have to recognize, you know, and be humble enough to realize that we don't do it alone and that we require the, the help of others to succeed. Um, but humility without boldness, you know, serves very few and is usually, you know, fear masquerading as humility. Mm. So what we found is, is some people are more prone to be bold and less likely to be humble. Some people are more prone to be humble, less likely to be bold. But when those people really owned both, and said, you know, I'm more likely to be bold, so I will, I will practice and I will find and I will own being humble. That those, they, bold was stronger when accompanied by humble, and humble was stronger when accompanied by bold. Uh, you know, another um, was grateful and demanding. You know, yeah. some people find it extremely easy to be grateful. You know, sometimes people find it extremely easy to be demanding. But, but either, either one, they're both way weaker than they should be when they stand alone. So somebody that's demanding, we all know those types, right? So mm-hmm. no, no matter what they ask of you, as soon as you finish it, they ask them something else. And the reality of it is, is that just wears people down. And there are other people, you know, that, that, that are grateful just that you showed up for work today. And so <laughs> and they end up becoming, you know, uh, losing credibility because they're purely cheerleaders. So, 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 um, so I think those are a couple of examples yeah. of, of how one strengthens the others. The other, I would say, is focused and fun, where you know, we all have to be focused as a business, and it creates great success. But, but people that are you know, solely focused can become one-dimensional and a pain to be around. Um, and if they can balance that with, with, with you know, making things enjoyable, making the workplace enjoyable, uh, focused and fun is much more powerful than, than either one alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish we had an hour just to do that, quite honestly. So uh, we're coming up on a break. When we come back, uh, we will move the conversation a little bit towards how do you implement culture once you sort of understand what you think it is. Uh, you're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. My guest today is Gary Corliss, and I'm Randy Chittum. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, 
visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back. I'm Randy Chittam. My guest today is Gary Corliss. Before the break, we were talking about Gary's experience with trying to define culture for an organization. And I want to finish up just a couple things from that, and then we'll move into more of the implementation uh, questions. So Gary was talking about multipliers, and he had mentioned bold and humble, uh, grateful and demanding, and focused and fun. And I think my last comment was, I wish we had an hour just to do that. Uh, I'm just going to mention the others, Gary, real quick, if that's okay. Um, I have aggressive and ethical. Uh, The version I have in front of me has I and we. And then there's a life balance that's here and home. And I don't know if you want to say anything more about uh, fairly quickly about any of those. Sure. I mean, I, I really do think one of the reasons that that they resonated with our team, and, and honestly, I still think about them every day, is because they helped each of us, you know, uh, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And so you can take, you know, here at home, obviously, you know, that's one where, you know, we realize that each one of us, you know, as a leader has both a responsibility, you know, and an opportunity, you know, to help people be successful in each of their roles. And so, you know, we, we believe that, you know, being successful in both places, here, you know, at work and at home, actually strengthens the other, and being successful in only one weakens the other. And so we found it, uh, you know, uh, really important for us to, you know, to help people be successful in both places, which, which you know, practically speaking, means, you know, you, you help each other. You know, when some person has a personal responsibility, you step up and you take care of their professional responsibility. And that had a way of building on itself. I think that genuine passion uh, for success in all our roles probably fueled more business results um, than anybody that, you know, would, would probably imagine. Somebody that maybe viewed their leadership role too narrowly as only being at work. Um, I think aggressive and ethical was always important because, you know, competing um, is very, you know, uh, uh, I think motivating, you know, for, for most people. It's certainly critical. You know, we were a public company and we were delivering services, you know, to caregivers. So, so on a day-to-day basis, you know, it is a combination between a, a chess match, you know, and a battle. And we needed our people to be geared up for it. And so, you know, first we, we have to relish the chance to outthink our competitors, but then we have to enthusiastically climb in the ring and beat them, right, again and again. And to do that, we have to get up earlier, study more, and train harder. Um, but we wanted our people to be crystal clear that if you do not fight by the rules, they will be off the team immediately. Um, and so, so you do have to be aggressive, which is different than bold, right? Bold is setting this, you know, the large goals for yourself and your team that are meaningful. Aggressive was to tell people, you got to get up out of bed early and you got to work harder and train harder than anybody else. Uh, but do n- never mistake that for being able to cross a rule which, across, you know, a line because that's usually what people do because they didn't train hard enough. Mm. Uh, and, and then lastly, I and we. 
uh, I think was, is, a, is a great respect for the individual contributor and what people can bring, you know, to their, to their you know, place of work or home every single day, uh, but balance with the fact and the humility to know that, that everything big, you know, is usually, you know, done by teams. And so we value the individual contributor and reward them for the individual behavior. Yet at the end of the day, you know, it comes to, uh, down to whether as a team we won or not. And so, so again, going back to some people are more prone to be, you know, to, to lean one way or the other. And this told people not only what we valued, but where to push and, and how hard to push and how to practically apply those things. So, so, you know, those were a big part of our culture. And, uh, and we talked about them every single day, and we tested our behavior against those every single day. And people would occasionally come up to you and say, I don't think you were bold enough you know, in, in that meeting, or I don't think you were humble enough in the way that you delivered that. And, you know, it was, um, it, it was and still is a living, breathing, you know, I believe, um, uh, philosophy. Yeah, yeah, I got to tell you, as someone whose primary and arguably only job when I was there was to work with leaders, right, to try to help them be better and bigger at the roles that they had, these multipliers were a part of practically every conversation that I had, and it was nice as a coach, to be able to work with people and have a clear and shared understanding of what was expected, uh, it really, in so many ways, made my job easier. And I say that in part just to reemphasize the point that people really did live with these. Um, you didn't need a piece of paper to remember uh, what was expected uh, there. So, so the, the, the upside is these are awesome. The, the, not really a downside, but I could almost imagine a leader listening to this and saying, wow, those are so awesome. I think I'll just use those. And uh, maybe you could get away with that. I doubt it. And so, but it does make me curious about, um, and maybe there's two different ways to think about this, Gary, but um, maybe the more obvious one is how did we get there? These are so nice. They're now typed up. They're on a sheet of paper. They were delivered. People knew about them. They resonated. People bought into it. I'm sure we didn't start there exactly. And so I wonder, and this is sort of, um, a shout out to those people who might be thinking about how could I get my culture that precisely defined. Um, any reflections on how we got there and or advice you would have for people who might want to do something similar? Oh, I think so. At least I can describe to you, you know, how we got there. Uh, I think, you know, when you're first starting out as a company, the, the culture, and partly because we were small, we were around each other all the time, you know, we, we had some shared beliefs and behaviors, but we never really had to describe them. So, so we, we, we copped out, right? We, we used to say, well, our culture is hard to define. Well, and the reality was, though, when you're growing, especially if you're opening up offices you know, outside of a main office and you have or virtual teammates, the reality is that's just not good enough. And so we said we believed that we were being, you know, intellectually lazy, that we had not, you know, stepped back to define it and to describe it. And, you know, you can, you can Google up culture and cultural definitions and all those things, and, and just there wasn't anything that we found that really, you know, um, motivated us or, or we believe represented us. And so, you know, this, this comes down to sitting down and trying to write it out. But ultimately, I think the most important thing for anybody that – you know, that, that is trying to build a culture is that it has to be something that they passionately believe. So however they write it and describe it, the fact is if they don't, if they're not willing, you know, to talk about it all the time, if they're not willing to live it on a day-to-day basis, well, then whatever they write down is going to be a waste of time. And I think that's probably the most important thing is that it is, it is 
like a, a living, breathing thing and that it has to be fed, you know, to, to live. And that is, that means you have to hire for it. You know, you, you, while you're, while you're hiring, you look for those traits, you know, you, you hopefully you'll find people that are bold, but make sure at the same time, you know, that they are humble, you know, and, and you have to be prepared to fire for it. That if people, you know, do cross the lines, you know, that, that you will not allow it because the second you allow, you know, people to, you know, to, you know, to, to flaunt those values, you know, then I think they're, you're, they're irreparably damaged. You know, you have to train for it, you have to promote for it, you have to demote for it. And that's really what makes it, you know, um, live and breathe. And that's what makes it so powerful. You know, somebody listening might think, well, when is there time to run the business? <laughs> the reality of it is, it's the foundation of the business, and then all of your business conversations are had within the context, you know, of of those cultural values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's more it's more of a how than a what. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I so and so. If you're listening, you might notice that we're sort of we're graying a little bit the conversation between what is it and how do you implement it. And I think just as we're in the middle of this conversation, it's occurring to me that part of how you implement it is how you create it and how you bring it to people. And that just so it brings me just to one other question about how you got here. Like I could I can sort of imagine like some really smart people going away on a mountaintop somewhere and really thinking as you said and not letting yourself be intellectually lazy and coming out with this. And I could imagine um, another place where there's a lot of co creation, a lot of people weighing in on it and the truth is it's probably some blend of that. But do you again just sort of in the advice space for people who are trying to do this, like how broadly, uh, how broad would you look to include people in the creation, or does this really, as you said, you really have to believe and have passion for it, which makes me think that it kind of comes from the top, I would think. Well, I, 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 it's a combination. I think you're right. I, I think it does help to start with something. Again, if you're, if you're not passionate about it, then you know none of no one else is going to be passionate about it. So, so I would. It, in my experience has been that you start with something and then you give people the chance to edit it and improve it and it becomes a collaborative approach. So, so they are example, is an example of bold and humble. You don't walk into a room and say, I don't know, what do you think? And start with a whiteboard. Um, yeah. You're bold enough to put down what you believe on paper, but you're humble enough to, you know, to be open to the fact that you might be wrong or there might be a better way of saying it and doing it. Uh, so I do believe it is the leader's responsibility you know, to be bold and to try and define it, but then to, to be humble enough to get in the room and let it get torn apart. Because ultimately, if you're the only one that's passionate about it, it's not really a culture, right? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a manifesto, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Which has its place. Just not here. Uh, um, and that's a great example, by the way, of bold and humble. I appreciate your. It, it tells me it's this sort of example of you living it that you would think about it that way, even uh, at this moment in time. Um, so one of the things that happens, and you talked about how that company was so fast growing, uh, really, I think most of the time that you were there, but particularly in the beginning. Um, I wonder. So that means a lot of times mergers and acquisitions and bringing other people who may or may not have shared your culture into the fold, so to speak. And I wonder, again, I think lots and lots of, of industries are experiencing this. What, what your experience tells you and what thoughts you have about, because that's pretty stark, right? Like one day I'm living my life in this culture in this way over here, and then the next day 
Uh, there's sort of a different expectation about that. I'm in a place that feels different. Uh, just general thoughts about how to manage that? Yeah, it's definitely critical. I can tell you we did, you know, over over the 25 years I was there, we did over 100 acquisitions. And, you know, that that's a big number. And you could... Basically, you know, you could you could lose your culture in with one big acquisition. So it goes back to really, it's not rocket science. I will tell you what it what it what it means is that you, if you are passionate about it, you know, that you, and and it is a worthwhile you know culture. It has values that resonate with people. You know, then then you're happy to share that with the next group that becomes a part of your team. And so it will be a test of your culture if you cannot add people to it, you know, that didn't originally, you know, start there, uh, then, then I think it, it's a real, it should make you question how you've defined your culture. You know, so that doesn't mean anybody can fit it, but it does mean that it should resonate, you know, with people. And then the fact that they watch the examples lived every single day, you know, will cause people to adopt it for their own reasons, not because you handed them a culture card and said, recite the following. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make it in, make it insightful, make it valuable, you know, and, and people will adopt it for their own reasons. And that's really what we believed. And that is what we experienced. Now, let me say again, that doesn't mean everybody is right. If everybody's right for your culture, then you wrote it in such a bland way, anything can fit it, and then it's not going to be very valuable. There are people that should realize that they are wrong for your company. You know, if they look at aggressive and ethical, but they're used to working with blurred lines, they should know that they're not going to make it there for very long. You know, if they're used to being bold but not humble, then they should realize that they're probably not going to, you know, to be very successful there. So, so you know, people should weed themselves out, you know, when, when they hear them. Um, but, but our experience has been that, you know, the, the vast majority of people, I think, uh, uh, were very happy, to, you know, to, to be a part of it and, and set the example on their own, not because, you know, somebody from quote-unquote corporate said it was important. Mm-hmm. And it reflects what you said earlier, that they, these multipliers in particular really seemed to, or seem to, not past tense, resonate with people, so it wouldn't be hard probably to, to buy into it. Gary, I, I almost hate to end the segment on this, but I think it's worth uh, sharing the story just to sort of drive this point home. You talked earlier about if you're going to have these, then you'd better be willing to hire, fire, demote. Like you'd really, you'd better be willing to kind of put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And I, and the other thing, of course, we know about culture is that very often the real culture is reflected in the stories that people tell and their rituals and, and all those kinds of things. Um, I think there's probably one story in particular, but I'll leave it a little more open-ended than this, about a tough decision that, I don't know if you actually made this or the company made it in some way, that really kind of put a stake in the ground around what our culture was and who we were going to be. Is that a story that you could tell in a minute or so? Sure. I, I think I know which one you're talking about. I think there were, you know, a couple. I, I, it really goes to, you know, don't... You don't write it down on paper and talk about it if you're not willing to, you know, to to back it up. And and so, unfortunately, you know, we had, you know, and and occasionally had people that were unwilling to live by, you know, those cultural values. And I think the truest test is is when it comes down to disciplining or firing a top performer or a top leader. 
the fact is, is if you don't do that well then your you know your culture is forever changed and and in this specific example where we at that time had over 800 um sales professionals our number one contributor by a long shot you know was not living by the cultural values and so we tried to you know explain and persuade and the reality of it was 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 this person was not stealing and was not cheating it's just that they treated everyone you know with disrespect because they believed i'm assuming because they were in the number one spot that they were untouchable uh, so you know the it goes back to the old decisions are easy when values are clear we had no choice and after we terminated that individual, you know, it was uh, a very defining moment. And, you know, and we've had to do, we've had to fire a senior vice president who also wouldn't live by it. I, I think the mistake that leaders often make is that they worry about losing the contribution of the individual, yet they don't see how badly it undermines their own credibility and how much those performers lessen the contribution of others. Uh, so, so if you're not willing to hire for it, fire for it, you know, promote or demote for it, then it's not really a passionate value. So, so there's nothing worse than someone that says the words and then doesn't back them up because that's why you have so many people in quote unquote corporate America smirking, you know, when, when people, you know, uh, state values that they don't live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's really interesting to have this conversation today. Just last week I was with the company who was working to define their cultural values, actually. And to get them started, I shared, and I don't have them in front of me, but I shared four values, one of which was integrity. And it sort of speaks to the thing that you talked about earlier, that they can be so generic as to not have any real meaning. But, uh, and I asked them if they could guess where those values, cultural values came from, and nobody could, of course, because it was Enron. And so <laughs> this, uh, right. clearly there's something more. Uh, than that. Um, I wonder, so I feel like we're probably pretty soon getting to a break, but I wonder, even in just a minute or so, um, if you could uh, think about if there's any risk in culture and culture definition to being too like-minded. In other words, if we, like, to, when does it become a downside that we are more alike than we are different? Where's the uh, role of diversity in any of that? Um, well, I think it's. I think that's a, a critical question, yeah. and I think you need to keep that in mind while you're writing them, you know, and or living them. So, uh, my hope is that if something is is both broad and defining as bold and humble, that you have you have some you know room to have different you know different thoughts. There are different ways to be bold that come from you know diverse backgrounds, you know, and people show humility in different ways. I would say that the the biggest downside is a case, is when people use you know culture as a sinister way to put the scarlet letter to put the scarlet letter on someone, you know, where they'll say, well, this person is not culturally consistent or this person really doesn't live the culture. And what they really mean is they're threatened by that person. Um, the good news, if you're clear about what your culture values are, I think you can quickly discern, you know, who is or is not, you know, living those values. So, um, but I think Randy, that's always the right question, which is you're trying to give people guidelines to live and work by, you know, that are guiding, but that aren't, um, you know, too limiting. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but but I would say just just be careful because because people, 
you can either misunderstand your culture, and then you have to make sure that you know that that you're clear and you know explain it to them, or they can misuse your culture uh, for something that you never intended it. Uh, so, so you know that's that's part of of hiring, firing, training, you know, and promoting and demoting. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Thank you, Gary, for. Dealing with that one. Uh, you're listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. We're up on a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Gary Corliss. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF Certified Advanced Coach Education and Leadership Courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. You are listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. Welcome back to the show. I'm Randy Chittam. My guest today is Gary Corliss. Uh, we are just going to continue the conversation we've been having with someone um, who is, has really wrestled hard with culture and I think figured out uh, a lot of things about how to both define it uh, and implement it and make sense of it and use it uh, for good, if you will. Um, Gary, I, when we were leaving, we were talking about what are the risks of being too like-minded, and I, I really appreciate how you answered that. I'm remembering back to the first conversation about culture we had with Jerry McDonough, who I asked that same question of, and he said the key really is in the precision of your understanding of culture, which is uh, really more or less what you said as well. So it's nice to have that uh, message reinforced. So we're, we're going to, even though it's the same conversation, we're going to shift our thinking just a little bit, even though we've been talking about this to some extent all along, the role of leadership and culture. And I've heard you use the health metaphor to describe culture, and I don't know if you remember using that or not. Um, and so I just wonder in general, for now, start high level, how you think about even like a mid-level leader, right? So we've talked sort of at the executive level about how it gets created and what the role and responsibility is and the passion, which certainly flows all the way down. But if I'm in the middle of the organization and I'm leading a team, um, what is my, how do you think about how I should be thinking about sort of attending to it? Uh, and again, that health metaphor might be useful there or it might not. So I'm sorry, you might have to refresh me on the health metaphor. <laughs> Well, you, what I remember you saying, so obviously it, it had power to me because it's been three or four years ago, I think, that I heard you say this, um, that 
we, uh, our health left to itself, like we don't just assume we're healthy, right? We go to the doctor, we pay attention to our blood pressure, we, we sort of keep a monitor on how we're doing from a physical perspective. And I remember you talking about culture being the same thing. It's a little bit like earlier when you were saying that it gets diluted. Uh, Jerry used the word um, entropy, I think, that culture sort of left alone will deteriorate over time, much like our health, I think, is sort of the metaphor that you were using. But we don't have Absolutely. to use that metaphor. But I'm wondering more just about the advice that you would have for people, because uh, it's not a one and done, right? You don't get it on paper, everybody buys in, and now we're done with it. Well, and, and so, so let me take the health metaphor for just a moment and to say that, that you, if you, if you tru- truly do value your health, if you truly do value your culture, you, know, you won't just assume, assume that, you're, that you're healthy um, or that your culture is strong. And so, so we did uh, measure it in a number of different ways. And one of the ways was, was to test tested just through our, you know, teammate surveys, which was, you know, a, a broad set of questions to test, you know, what our people are thinking about what they're dealing with, you know, what they most, you know, uh, like about their days, what they don't like. And so, so there were ways for us to, 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 you know, uh, I think gauge, you know, whether our culture was being, you know, effective and was being lived in over 60 different locations outside of our own headquarters. I can tell you that when I would go visit, you know, one of our, you know, our field offices and I would do a town hall and stand in front of our people and ask them, you know, and give them the chance to ask me questions about anything, I could immediately tell whether the local leader was living our culture or not. You could just get a sense, you know, for whether it was an inclusive and collaborative and mission focused, you know, um, team. And so I will tell you that, that the, the local leader, the, however you want to define it, mid-level, uh, senior level, you know, entry level, the fact is, is the, the um, ownership of the culture is equal. You know, because if you don't own it you know, with your team, well, then you're one of the first persons to start to dilute it. And so no one has the right to be a culture taker. Only everyone has the responsibility to be a culture maker. That is everyone. That is not just at the leadership level. Um, so, so that's how strongly I feel about it, and that's, you know, that's how actively we let it. Wow, that's a great story. Um, I've done some of those town halls as well, and I agree with you. There is something, this is sort of what culture is almost. There's just something in the air, right? You can feel it and, and see it. I wonder... Um, so not everything's been uh, roses, I would assume, in trying to tackle something this complex and, uh, and difficult and important. I wonder if you've seen, uh, not anything we did, of course, but maybe in other places, uh, just mistakes that people have made in implementing culture, trying to, uh, well, let me not lead you, but just mistakes you've seen, places where people could have done it better. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to try and be humble in my uh, bold statement here, <laughs> and just say that I think there are you know many different types of positive culture. You know, obviously, you know I feel passionate you know about ours, um, but I, I think the you know the the first mistake is is maybe you know going about it for the wrong reasons. You know, so so you know if you were to be if you were coaching someone that said they wanted to you know improve their culture, my first question we'd probably ask them why you know and if it's only to quote unquote improve results 
Uh, you can st- you can help them. You, you can, but to a to a degree. Um, there's, there's, I think it's an overly narrow view of the individual, the human being that works, you know, with you, uh, to view it that way. Because I, I just don't think you'll get the most out of them. I think learn. I think the other one is learn, learn what the people are passionate about. Because sometimes people just have those list of values, like you mentioned. You're with somebody that listed out, okay, integrity and inclusiveness. All that. Nothing's wrong with any of those words. The problem is, is, is they're, they're, they're generic. Right and and they they don't really help people, you know. People are just afraid not to list them, right? So so I think I think people go into it either for the wrong reasons because they say I want a culture that's just going to improve results, or you know they 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 you know they're they're just dull. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right and and yeah. guess what? There are there are bad teachers, there are bad coaches, and there are bad business people. And the ra- reality of it is, is you know, if what you're leading is dull, you're probably you know going to have bland results. You know, so so find something you're passionate about and you're willing to fire and hire and promote and demote for. If not, then you know just just uh, probably save your save some time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, there are bad all of those things. So I, one of the things that strikes me about culture, and there's all kinds of metaphors for it, right? you could think about it almost as organizational character or personality perhaps, or there's all these different ways. But whatever it is, it seems like it should be something that would transcend uh, good and bad times, right? Things are, not that things are ever probably easy in business um, and organizations, but maybe easier, more success sometimes and less success others, things get harder. Uh, I know for us, like as markets tightened and margins got tighter and healthcare changed, certainly the challenges that we were facing uh, just became more and more substantial, I'd say, not that we were unable to face those challenges, but it got tougher, at least it felt that way. Uh, and then I, the, the Harvard Business Review from this past April talked about how addressing culture is kind of the wrong answer, that you should fix the business and culture takes care of itself. Uh, I don't particularly agree with that premise or how they got there. But it did make me wonder, to the extent that culture transcends uh, times and places, what did you notice about how culture enabled us? Um, it's sort of like the winning locker room, right? When, the, when, the, when your team's winning, everything's great. When they're losing, everything's terrible. Um, what did you notice about sort of putting culture in front of performance and how it helped us to navigate uh, as things got tougher in our business? Well, you know, my experience is, 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 you know, the culture is most important, you know, when things get tougher, mm. you know, and so, so, you know, I did not see that article, but I will tell you that as I think is if, if, if the culture only works while you're winning and needs to be changed while you're losing, it probably wasn't even really a culture, you know, yeah. so yeah. Uh, I, I, we definitely relied, you know, on our culture when things got tougher. So for example, the temptation of a leader, you know, often is to forget about the fun part. You know, one of our multipliers was focused and fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when results are a little tougher to get, you know, people think that it's irresponsible to provide, you know, any sort of a fun uh, um, atmosphere. And it's, ex- it's, it's when your instincts betray you because it's, it's, it's the absolute wrong move. The reality of it is, is it's focused and fun. And so when we were going through some of the toughest times, we found you know, ways to, to make the things that we had to do, you know, more enjoyable. And so, 
so that's what I will tell you is I would believe that if you if you have a strong culture that is based on values that transcend, then you shouldn't throw them out when times get tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that certainly makes a ton of sense. Like I said, I didn't particularly agree with the premise of this article, but I thought it was interesting, right? Um, so maybe as a uh, next to last question, Gary, and then I, I want to create a little space at the end just for you to, I don't know if you think of it as a summary so much or just sort of lessons learned that you would uh, have people remember as we start to get near the winding of this up. I wonder how you think about just the relationship between culture uh, and leadership effectiveness. Like I think there are people in the world who would say they're one and the same. Again, I don't know if that's actually true, but like how you would put that together, results are probably in there somewhere. Like how, how do you organize that in your mind? Well, I, you know, I, I believe that they are, you know, intertwined. You know, certainly you have to, you know, be, you know, intensely curious about your business. You know, you have to be intensely curious about your competition. You have to be all those those things. You have to love the chess match of trying to outthink, you know, your competitors and see where the market is going. You know, but but intertwined with that, you know, is is the is the cultural piece. And I I, I just think leading without a strong culture to me would be draining because you know what exactly are you leading and and you know other than you know, a, a strategy of the day or the tactics, uh, you know, and if you don't have shared beliefs and values, then, then what are you leading? And, you know, so, so I would just say that, that to me, they're absolutely intertwined with leadership effectiveness um, because there are just, I just honestly think that there are just too many leaders that are, you know, that are spouting tactics and, you know, or clipboard managers pointing people to move this pile of rocks from here over to there. And I just think that's a lazy way of leading, you know, people who are multidimensional that are looking to you, you know, to, to inspire them with a mission. And I don't know how you do that solely, you know, by, uh, um, you know, talking about the tactics of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually, uh, thank you for that. I think maybe we have time for one other question before the final question. Um, so you've, you know, again, I think so much of this is in the setup in the sense that you, you create a, a definition or a way of understanding culture that appeals to people. But beyond that, and so this is, this is a little bit of a tactical question. I'm thinking about people who might be listening uh, who, again, imagine themselves really, really going after this. Uh, what are some thoughts you have, if, if any, about, like, because it, it doesn't strike me as selling. Like, it feels like if you have to sell it, you probably have the, you're selling the wrong thing in a way. But just how do you thoughts about how do you create alignment around it at a kind of practical level? Uh, I agree that if it's, it's, if you're selling it, it's just, you know, then, then I think it's going to fall flat. You know, it's, it's literally just explaining the values in ways that, that people can grasp them. Uh, and the way that we did it with the multipliers, I think gave us the chance to give examples on both sides. This is what we mean by bold. This is what we mean by humble. I think it's incredibly important to have stories on each, you know, to that, that back up what you mean, you know, when, when you, you know, talk about a cultural value. So, um, and so I think that's, I would say that's the, the practical approach to explaining your culture as opposed to, you know, selling it. Okay. Awesome. Gary, I want to say thank you a couple times. I'll say it right now for once. And then I just want to open up a little bit of, it's probably a minute or a minute and a half of space. Just any final thoughts on your part? I so appreciate what you shared with us so far. Well, I would just say that, you know, give yourself 
some freedom to think broader than the business issue of the day. Mm-hmm. I think as a leader, it'll be so much more enjoyable. It'll be so much more purposeful uh, for you to capture it. And it's going to take, you know, some a combination of, of strength and vulnerability, which may be a new multiplier, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, right? When you're creating these. And so I would just say that if you don't do those things, you're, you're going to probably write and share something that's going to be bland. So put yourself out there for your people. You know, set something that you're going to you know, feel passionate about you know, and then live it and breathe it uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It is not rocket science, but it, but it, does, it does require a, you know, a real intention you know, to, to, to you know, birth it and then keep it alive. So um, I'm super fortunate to have started under a CEO that believed it and then fortunate enough to be challenged by my experiences to, you know, to, to shape it over the years. Yeah, yeah. Gary, thank you so much for everything that you shared today. I want to say a, a quick word about you and how much respect I have for you. I always think when you do these kinds of things, there's sort of the interview answer, right? And it always sounds a little better than it actually was. Uh, not always, but often. And I just want to say to people who are listening, I lived in this culture for nine years and worked in it and tried to do my part to animate it. Uh, and it really was very much like what Gary's describing. So this is less of an academic exercise and much more of a, this is really how it looked at ground level. And so a big thanks to you for today, but also for the work that you've done to create a place like that, that many of us uh, have such fond uh, memories of and experiences with. So thank you, Gary. Absolutely. Thank you, Ray. Yeah. So uh, you've been listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. Uh, as you know, we've been talking to Gary Corliss, who shared uh, some great wisdom with us today about uh, culture and leadership, and I wish you well. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.